what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into uh, tonight's teaching. And let me tell you real quick uh, what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a quick recap of what we've talked about the last two weeks, because we started this series two weeks ago entitled How to Live the Gospel. How do we live the gospel? And so we spent a couple of weeks just kind of really teeing up what we're getting ready to talk about the next couple of weeks. And it's this idea of how do we as believers live our lives in such a way that we draw people to Christ, not to us, but to Christ. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, what we mentioned in those two lessons in case you haven't seen them. Uh, and if you have it, I encourage you to go back and listen. And then we're going to get into kind of the introduction for what Pastor Sean and I are going to talk about uh, on Sunday, which is how do we live the gospel? Well, part of the way that we live the gospel is by learning to overcome adversity. You have to be a person who is resilient. I, I can't tell you the number of times I am seeing those who are professing to have faith in Christ Yet at the end of the day, they, they, they're shrinking and they're being sensitive and they're being soft to every problem, trial and tribulation that comes their way. Listen, you cannot be a believer just when things go well. And so if we're going to live out our Christian creed, if we're going to live out this gospel, then we've got to become a people who understand what it means to overcome adversity. So let me pray. And then we're going to get into the recap and then into the introduction. And then I'll let you go. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be here in front of these, your people. I don't take it lightly. Father, I thank you that the words you allow us to share today will be a word that will penetrate our heart. And so, Father, I'm asking right now for everyone who's listening live and those who will hear the replay, that you would touch our hearts, that you would touch our minds, that you will open up our ears and open up our eyes to see into the spirit that which you have for us. I pray, God, that nothing stands in the way that interrupts us from receiving the word tonight. I thank you, God, that even as this word is getting ready to come forth, our hearts are already overfilled with joy for what you're going to give us. And therefore, Father, we thank you in advance. We say thank you for the word. We say thank you for reshaping our lives. We repent for whatever we've done that, that could be hindering and getting in our way. And we just come to you boldly and, and with joy and with thanks giving, asking you, Father, to give us that which we desire, which is to be full of your word, that we might live out this gospel that we've been called to. And God, if you do that for us, we'll be so thankful to give you the praise in your son Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. As we get started tonight, I need you to do something for me. I need you to type in the comment section, I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. Now, I told you I wanted to recap for you a little bit about what Pastor Sean and I had been talking about the last couple of weeks. And some of this kind of started as we were uh, out walking some of our miles that we walked, uh, just talking and, and, and just sharing our lives with each other. Uh, and we were talking about just it seems like so many people who say they love God are just out here doing things that just doesn't represent God at all. And, and, and what it's doing is it really is diluting the gospel message. Because what happens is when you have people who are confessing Christ, but yet they're living like people who say they don't even know Christ, 
then those who are seeking can't tell whether there's a difference in the two. And so we were talking about that and, and we were talking about, well, what do we need to do? You know, we can't we can't change the entire world by ourselves. But what can we do? And in that discussion, I shared with her this quote that she shared with you uh, a couple of weeks ago. And here's and here's what I was basically saying. I said that most people are going to run into someone who claims to represent Christ before they actually meet Christ. Now, think about that. When, and think about your own life. When you were growing up, more than likely you encountered someone who was a Christian, who's, who was a professed believer. You encountered them before you ever, actually ever encountered the Messiah for yourself. And so I was saying to her that therefore it's important then for those of us who are professing Christ that we represent him in such a way that people understand that there's a difference between those who represent him and those who don't. We have to make sure that those of us who represent him actually live out the gospel. And so we started talking about that. And one of the questions became is then what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And we define the gospel as being the good news that God sent his son Jesus in the form of flesh to deal with the way sin separated us from him. That is the good news. Here is the good news that you and I literally, when we were born, we were born into sin. And there was nothing that you or I could do to get ourselves out of it. But what God did is sent his only begotten son to die for us, to pay the penalty for us, so that now you and I could be separated from sin. That is the good news. And, and the reality of it is if we fully understood the good news in its entirety, we wouldn't want to do anything to disappoint someone who's done something like that for us. There, you, you think about your best friend in the world. You think about your, and I know we shouldn't say it like this, but you think about your ride or die. You think about the person who's always had your back. You think about the person who's shown up for you time after time after time. Even when you acted a fool on them, they still ended up coming back and showing up for you. If you wouldn't treat those people, if you wouldn't treat those people bad, then why in the world would we even fan them thinking our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that way. But it's because we don't fully understand what it means to receive this gospel message. And so then we started talking about the four principles that was necessary for us to live out the gospel, because we're talking about living in such a way that we don't have to walk around with a what would Jesus do wrist bracelet on or what would Jesus do t-shirt on, but that really we're talking about living our, our life in such a way that is so distinctively different that people begin to ask us questions about why we do what we do, why we say what we say, and why we move what we move. And so here are the four things that we talked about the last couple of weeks. We said, number one, the first thing you got to do is you got to learn to exhibit godly character. Okay, you got to exhibit godly character. And then we defined what godly character is. We said it's the ability to discern God's right way from wrong. 
and to voluntarily surrender one's own will to do what is right in God's sight. That means, yes, I'm a grown man. Yes, you a grown woman. Yes, you got kids. Yes, you a, you a corporate executive. Yes, you're over this. You're over that. But at the end of the day, in order to exhibit godly character, it means that you have to have the ability to discern God's way, to discern what is right in God's eyes from right and wrong, not just from society, but based on what God said. And then this is the key part. You have to voluntarily surrender your own will to do what is right in God's sight. God didn't kick down doors and make you obey. God didn't kick down doors and make you live out the thing that you say you believe. You have to voluntarily surrender that in order to develop the kind of character that allows you to do what we're going to talk about, which is to overcome adversity. We said that there were three things you had that, that were a part of exhibiting godly character. We said there were four principles for living it out. One was exhibiting godly character, and then there were three things that you had to have. Number one, you had to hate evil and love good, and we changed that to God. <laughs> you have to hate evil and love God. Amos 5.14 says, seek good and not evil. It tells us what we ought to be seeking. Matthew 6.33 says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. So we have to hate evil and love good, which is loving God. The second thing we have to do is pay attention to the company that we keep. We must pay attention to the company that we keep. First Corinthians 15 and 3 in the NIV says, do not be misled. Bad company. It corrupts good character. So if we're trying to exhibit godly character, we got to be mindful of the company that we keep. We got to make sure that we are hanging out with other people who are seeking to live this gospel and not looking to use the gospel in some manipulative way so they can then do whatever it is that they want to do. So we got to pay attention to the company that we keep. And then the third thing we said we, you have to do in order to exhibit this godly character is you got to develop some perseverance. And you just do. When I talk about overcoming adversity, this is what I'm talking about. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse three and four is paraphrases. It, it says, knowing that tribulation, that's, that's, that's adversity, that's problems, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So if you don't ever go through anything, how are you going to develop the thing you need to make it through? He says, and then perseverance develops what? Character. What kind of character we're we trying to develop? This godly character we're talking about. And then what does character do? Character then develops hope. That means that when God gives you a word, you don't shrink. You don't fall back. You don't cave in and quit and give up just because adversity comes your way. Okay. So we talked about those four principles. Number one was exhibiting godly character with the three things that you had to do. And then one of the things we said was the other thing you have to make sure that you're doing is you have to do these things we call the taming process, right? We said you got to learn to tame your thoughts. You got to learn to tame your tongue. You got to learn to tame your temperament and you got to learn to tame your team. If you don't tame those four things, then you're never going to put yourself in a position 
to be able to hate evil and love good. You're not going to put yourself in a position where you can pay attention to the company that you keep. You're not going to be able to develop any stick to itness, any perseverance. Why? Because your team's going to always tell you, man, you ought to just give up on that. You ought to just quit. Your thoughts are going to say to you, oh, it's never going to work out. Your heart condition is going to be so soft and weak. You're going to be like, I should just give up. I should just lay in my bed and cry. No, you have to tame your thoughts. You have to tame your team. You have to tame your temperament and you have to tame your tongue. If you don't, then you will never be able to do this first thing we're talking about, which is exhibiting godly character. Okay. Then the second thing we say what you got to learn to do, which I think is probably the most important of these, is you got to display moral courage. You got to display some moral courage. We define moral courage as being uh, the pinnacle of ethical behavior. We said that moral courage is the pinnacle of ethical behavior. Pastor Sean last week talked about we don't do situational ethics. You know, if it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. It's not right when I'm with this group of friends and then wrong when I'm with that group of friends. Right is right and wrong is wrong. We said that moral courage requires a steadfast commitment to fundamental ethical principles despite potential risk, potential risks such as threats to your reputation, to shame, emotional anxiety, isolation from colleagues, retaliation, and loss, even loss of employment, loss of friends, loss of family. But you, when God calls you to do something, you have to have enough courage to do it, no matter what the naysayers say. And sometimes the naysayers aren't haters. I know we love to think that. Sometimes the naysayers are people who really, in their mind, have your best intention at hand. They don't want to see you disappointed. They don't want to see you sad. They don't want to see you have an experience what they call another failure. And so they tell you, maybe you shouldn't dream that big. Maybe you shouldn't think about that. Maybe that's not for you. Maybe you can't do that. But if God has told you and given you an assignment to do something, then you have to have the moral courage to see it through. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16 and 13 in the Amplified, it says, be alert and be on guard. Stand firm in your faith, in God, respecting his precepts and keeping your doctrine sound. He says, act like mature men. In other words, grow up, act like mature individuals, men and women. Be courageous. Be courageous. That's what Joshua told us. Be, be strong and be thou courageous. I like what the Amplified says. And grow up. Grow up. Somebody cut that in the comment section. Say it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time for us to exhibit godly character. It's time for us to develop this moral courage. And it's time for us to stop shrinking every time some adversity comes our way. Because that's what I'm getting to. I'm getting to this idea of you need all of this stuff so you can live out adversity. Because when you live out and overcome adversity, then you become the solution for somebody else. They show up and ask you, how did you get through this? When you lost your mom, when you lost your dad, when you lost your job, when you got the diagnosis, when you didn't have the money, when, you didn't, when they talked about you, how did you overcome it? That gives you an opportunity to display and to show Jesus Christ in a light that they've never seen. But if you're somewhere in a corner 
huddled up crying, drinking wine, using sage to get the negative energy out of your house, then you just the same as the rest of them. There's no difference in what you're doing and what the world is doing. Why would they come to you for a solution when you're suffering just like they are? And so I want to talk to you about how important it is to develop what's necessary to overcome adversity. The third thing we said, that you have to learn to operate with personal integrity. You have to operate with personal integrity. We define personal integrity as being a solid internal code that is built up on Christ's teachings, his morals, and his ethics. Personal integrity is about a solid internal code. It means it doesn't switch up based on who the friends I'm with. It don't, it don't switch up because I went on vacation. My internal code is the same internal code in Fayetteville, Arkansas, as it is in Miami, Florida, as it is in Jamaica, as it is in, in Hawaii, as it is in Dubai, as it is in Singapore. Wherever I go, my personal integrity is the same. Why? Because Jesus is the same. It is my solid internal code that is built upon Christ's teachings, Christ's morals, and crisis ethics, not my own, not my bosses, not my friends, not my families, not what we do in my family. No, no, no. We are doing this based on Christ. Okay. Proverbs 11 and three says this, it says the integrity and moral courage of the upright will guide them. The reason some of you lost is because you don't have any moral integrity. The reason why some of you can't find your way out of various situations, you keep finding yourself back into another pit time after time after time is because you don't have that personal integrity, that solid internal code built up on Christ's teachings, his morals and his ethics. But Proverbs 11 and 3 says the integrity and moral courage of the upright will guide them. But the crookedness, watch this, the deceitfulness, the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. He says, your own lack of integrity, hear me, your own lack of integrity, your own lack of being guided by Christ's teaching, by Christ's morals and Christ's ethics, he says, your lack of that will cause you to end up picking a path to go down that destroys yourself. That's the difference in being blessed and cursed. Blessed is empowered to prosper. Cursed is empowered to fail. He said, your lack of integrity will cause you to be empowered to always end up failing. Some of you are wondering, why doesn't it ever work out for me? Take a pause and really take an account of your life and really see how many times you're trying to cut corners on what God's asked you to do. How many times are you really trying to take the shortcut? How many times are you really trying to take the path of least resistance when God asks you to do something? The reason that it keeps coming up short in your life is because your integrity keeps coming up short. So if you want to be a person who's going to be able to overcome adversity in every situation, you've got to get some personal integrity that's rooted in moral courage with the foundation of having godly character. And then the last thing we said was that two different characteristics really make this up. There are two characteristics of integrity. Number one, honesty. If you're not an honest person, people can't trust you. If you're not an honest person, you, you lie a lot. We said honesty and trustworthiness. We said honesty should be deeply rooted in Christ, not your opinion, not the sign of the times, not the culture, right? The honesty should be based deeply 
on and rooted in what Christ says is right, period. Trustworthiness, we said, should be known for speaking the truth in love. Don't miss that. Speaking the truth in love and operating in truth when others aren't. That's when you're going to have to have that moral courage. When your friend's trying to convince you that it's cool for everybody to go out and, and do stuff they shouldn't be doing, go places they shouldn't be doing, involved in activities they shouldn't be doing, and, and, and you feeling that peer pressure to maybe do it because maybe won't nobody know. But watch this. Pastor Sean said it so well on Sunday. The moment you give in, hear me, the moment you give in, you lose all credibility with them. They may not say it that day, but they're holding it. They're holding it for the moment that you come back and tell them that they're doing something wrong. And they're going to say, well, how can you tell me I'm wrong when you said that we weren't supposed to do X, but you did it. They're waiting on you. They're waiting on you to become the stumbling block for them. And I'm encouraging you not to do it. You need to develop that honesty and that trustworthiness that are so key to operating with personal integrity. And then the fourth thing we said was that you got us to develop mature behavior. I know we typed it in the group already, but it, it, it worth, it's worth repeating. Go ahead and type it again. Say it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It is. It's, it's almost I'm looking at the body of Christ and I'm seeing so many people who are confessing to be believers. It's almost like they're regressing. It's almost like people are going backwards rather than rather than getting closer to God. They're regressing. They're going backwards. It's like they're doing everything they can to feed their flesh. They're doing everything they can to get every whim and desire fulfilled because they don't want to grow up and have to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to voluntarily surrender this desire that I have. You know, I literally saw someone today arguing about the fact that monogamy is not natural. Monogamy is not natural. And I thought to myself, of course monogamy is not natural because monogamy, not being monogamous goes into our flesh. Monogamy is supernatural. In order for you to make a commitment to one person and stay with that one person, of course that takes a supernatural event. They talk about monogamy is not natural. No, it's not natural. It's supernatural. But if you give into your flesh and to your whim and to every desire, then yeah, it makes sense that you want to run around and hop in the bed with every time Dick, Harry, and Sally. That makes sense. But if you are a person who's trying to develop and mature and grow, then you don't allow those kind of thoughts to get into your mind and you get to the place where saying, well, you know, maybe it does make sense. You know, our ancestors, they had multiple wives and, and you know, they had, listen, you ain't your ancestor. You ain't no king and no queen. You work at Wendy's. Okay, so stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You need to grow up and submit your flesh to God. Amen. All right. <laughs> I can talk like that because my wife ain't sitting beside me this right now. Now, let's talk about this. We said there were five things <laughs> that are important in developing and maturing behavior. Okay. Number one, I talked about this. You got to surrender your rights. You have to surrender your rights. You don't get to choose to do what you want to do because it feels good. We serve a God, a Lord and master. 
We do what he says. We make ourselves bond servants to the word of God. We slave to the word. We are slaves to the word of God. So you got to surrender your rights. The second thing you got to do is you got to live a life of purity. Here it is again. You got to live a life of purity. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 18, flee from sexual immorality. There you go. You got to flee from it. Why? Because it's going to be a desire of yours. So when someone says that monogamy is not natural, I agree. It's not natural. It's supernatural. In order for you to do it, you're going to have to have some supernatural Holy Ghost hell. Otherwise, you're going to give in to every sexual immorality thought that comes your way. The Bible says every sin that a man does is outside of his body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And that's what the devil is pushing upon the church. He's pushing sexual immorality. He's have, have sex with whoever you want to, as many people as you want to. I actually saw a preacher today talk about sexuality is as 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 individual as someone's fingerprint. So 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 you 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 don't you don't know who you might want to be be involved with. It's wickedness. It's wickedness. It is in it's, it's demonic and it's designed to get us to be able to put ourselves in a position so when adversity comes, we have no strength to push through. We have no, and listen, if you are a born again believer, you're gonna have trouble in this world. It's a fact, you're going to experience trouble in this world. Jesus himself said so, and we'll talk about that. Jesus himself said so. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to put you in this position so that when trouble comes, he can smack you upside your head with the trouble. And all you can do is find another pill to take. All you can do is find another way to get high, drink something else, smoke something else, sleep with somebody else, do some, something morbid to yourself, like cutting on yourself or, or doing something else. Why? Because you're trying to, to get rid of the pain that's associated with the adversity but if you will listen to me tonight, I am telling you, God has a way to prepare you so that when adversity comes, you're prepared. So what I got to do, I got to surrender my rights. I got to live a life of purity. And then number three, I got to represent God in everything that I do. I got to stop departmentalizing my life. I got to stop being a Christian on Sunday and being a Christian on Tuesday and on Friday and, and Sunday, but 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 on but on Mondays and Wednesdays and Saturdays, I'm just going wild. I'm just doing whatever I want to do. I'm kicking it with these friends who who I got to make sure they can't talk to these friends because I'm I'm too you 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 like the character uh in in the, in, in in DC comics. You like Two Face. You, you you got one face over here for your Christian friends and one face over here. Listen, represent God in all that you do. That is a part of growing up. That means if I encounter you at Walmart, I shouldn't encounter you cussing somebody out at Walmart. I should encounter you the same way. Some Christians, they duck and hide when they see other Christians. Why? Because you're doing something you ain't got no business doing. You're somewhere you ain't got no business being. And they see you somewhere and you ducking and hiding. Listen, you ought to be proud to show up the way you are everywhere you go. Amen. And then number four. We said you got to learn to respect your brothers and sisters in Christ. You got to learn to love people. Uh, the number of Christians who are always post about, I don't like people. 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 Well, listen, 
If you don't like people, then you got to ask yourself, is the love of God even in you? Because God loves people. God loves people. If he loves people so much, the Bible says he gave his only begotten son to die for them, that whoever might believe in him would have everlasting life. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind, be kind, be kind, be kind. <laughs> Some of y'all need a kind peel or something. Be kind. You need to get baptized in the Holy Ghost so you can quit being so mean and so, and, 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 and so evil and, and so cantankerous. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Yes, people are going to make mistakes. You are not going to do community with anybody forever and they don't make a mistake and injure you somehow. But that's true of them. But watch this. It's true of you. You've injured somebody willingly or unwillingly. You've hurt somebody. But when you ask for forgiveness, you want to receive it. So the Bible says that when we when we're asked to forgive, we should we should extend that same grace. We should be forgiving as well. And then number five, we said living a life of discipline. You have to be a person who lives a life of, of discipline. The reason that you end up getting caught up into sin time after time after time is because you don't discipline your life. You don't you don't put boundaries in your life. You don't put up gateways in your life to keep you from doing the thing that, that you know you're weak at. You, you, you know you love to smell a weed. You know you love smoking weed. But yet you say you're not going to smoke weed, but you go to your friend's house who got free weed. Now, what sense that make? What sense does that make? You're not living a life of discipline. You have to put boundaries in your life. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, but I, but I, Edwin, but I, Chris, but I said, but I, Etoy, but I, Chandra, but I, Sean, I discipline my body, not somebody else. I ever, not somebody else. I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. Least when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified or become a castaway. That's what the apostle Paul was saying. He said, what good does it do for me to preach to you? And then I myself don't discipline myself and I become the very thing I'm preaching against. And so we talked about these the last two weeks because we said, here is the foundation. All of these things that I just spent the last, I don't know, 30 minutes talking about. He says, here is how we set up our life to be able to live out the gospel. And now I want to do a quick introduction to you to once I have done this, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of all this stuff we just been talking about? It is so that when adversary uh, adversity comes your way, when you meet the adversary, that you don't shrink, that you don't shrink. Part of living out the gospel message is learning how to overcome life adversities. Part, yes, whoever told you, I know they used to say that at, at, at different churches, did you come down the aisle and you get saved, your hands look new and your feet did too. Listen, I don't know about all that. What I do know is that the same problems that was there before you walked down the aisle is the same problems that's going to go when you go back to your seat. 
The difference is, is that if you grow up in the word of God, it will teach you how to handle them effectively. Because part of living out the gospel, part of living out this good news is learning to overcome life's adversities just like Jesus did. Sadly, some Christians have the mistaken idea that just because they've been spiritually born again and have translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear son, into his kingdom of light, that they shouldn't have any more trouble in the world. And I need to let you know, because I can't tell you the number of Christians who I encounter who think that somehow because they're saved, they shouldn't be going through something. Listen, the fact that you're saved is going to be indication you're going to go through something. The enemy's not just going to sit back and go, oh, okay, well, you got saved. I ain't got to try to throw nothing at you to see if it's going to change, see if you're going to give up on it. You have an adversary. It would be like having a football game. Two football teams come together. They play against each other. They are adversaries during the time of that game. That means one of them is trying to stop the other one of them from doing what they would like to do to win the game. That's all this is. You and I are in a game. We know the good news is we know that we already win. Those of us that are born again, we already win. But you got to play the game. You got to play the game. The enemy's going to show up and he's going to want to try to deter you and stop you from getting to where God has told you you could go. Your job is to run the play. Your job is to do what God has told you to do. Your job is to not give up in the day of adversity. We should not be surprised that trouble is going to come our way in this game of life. Because Jesus himself says to us that as long as we are in this world, we're going to have troubles. Well, pastor, I, I don't know where, where you get that from. John 16, 33. Let's look at this so you can stop crying and stop complaining and you can get up and grow up and live your life the way God has called you to. He says these things, this is Jesus speaking. He says, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Watch this. This word peace here is the word shalom. It means nothing missing, nothing broken. He says, I'm speaking this thing to you so that in me. That means you got to find yourself in me. And when you find yourself in me, you're going to have peace. He says, in the world, you're going to have or experience tribulations. That's trials and troubles. He says, but while you're experiencing them, watch this. He says, here's the posture and the attitude you must have. Be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Now you may be thinking, well, why should I be happy just because Jesus overcome the world? Well, go back to the first part of what he says. He says, these things have I spoken unto you that in me, you might have peace. He says, so if I've overcome the world and you're in me, then you've overcome the world. So, you, so while you're going through these tribulations, don't forget I've already won. Don't forget you're in me. Don't forget you being in me means you're a winner. That's why I had you to start this broadcast off by saying, I am an overcomer. I think some of you need to say it again. Go ahead and type in the comment section. Say, I am an overcomer. How do I get to be an overcomer? How do I get to live in this world and still be an overcomer? 
How do I get to go through trials and tribulations and troubles and still have peace? Because I find myself in Christ. I find myself embedded in God's word. God's word in my heart places me in Christ. And when that happens, then I can have joy even when I'm going things that are going through things that aren't joyous. Peace is security in the midst of trouble. Peace is security in the midst of trouble. It's why the psalmist says trouble may, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's why he also says it like this. He literally says, listen, he says, trouble don't last always. That's a scripture. That's a scripture that says trouble does not last always. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. But only if you remember where you are. And that is being in Christ. So where does peace come from? Pastor, if I'm going to be in Christ, I'm going to get this peace. Where does peace come from? Jesus says, peace comes from the words I have spoken unto you. So when God gives you a word, and we see this time and time again, I don't have time to go through all the scriptures, but one of the ones I love is when Jesus tells the, the people that they're going to go to the other side. And the Bible says that they get in the ship and they go to the other side and then a storm comes and they start freaking out and leaving, losing their mind. They wake Jesus up from his nap and they say, do you not care that we're going to perish? Jesus, we're about to die. And you taking a nap? Do you just not care at all? And Jesus looked at them and he says, oh, ye of little faith. Why? He says, you should have been at peace no matter what the storm looks like, because I told you we were going to the other side. God told you he was going to heal you. God said he was going to deliver you. God said he was bringing those kids back home, those wayward kids. God said you were going to get the new job. God said he was going to restore the marriage. God said he was going to fix the relationship. Well, it don't look like God going to do nothing. Oh, ye of little faith. What did God say? And that's where your peace comes from. Some of you don't have peace. Watch this. Because you don't believe God. You don't have peace because you don't take God seriously. You don't take God at his word. And so when trouble comes your way, all you can see is the trouble because trouble becomes so big and God becomes so small. Jesus and his word are one. Therefore, he is saying here that although you live in the world where trouble is, you can stay secure by staying in the word. In other words, no matter what's going on in the world, if I stay in the word, peace will be there. As a born again child of God, you and I are still in this world physically, but we are not of the systems of this world. That is, we do not operate or live our lives according to the system of this world. Just because we experience the same problem as somebody else doesn't mean we have to have the same outcome. That's the reason that there are people who say, well, my, my grandmother or my mother or my sister, or my brother, or my uncle, or even me, I had that diagnosis and, 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 it, and it didn't turn out well. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. But just because you got that diagnosis, just because that's the word that you heard 
doesn't mean it has to end that way for me or those I'm connected to because I understand that I am not limited by this world's systems or its resources. Glory to God. You and I have been charged by the scriptures to live in the word of God. We exist in this earth realm, but we live by the word. Yes, we are still in the world where there is trouble and there's going to be trouble until the time we go home to glory. But we don't have to be troubled by trouble because Jesus says, I have already overcome this world system. Understand this. Jesus overcame the world system the same way we have to with the word, with the word. That's how Jesus overcame with the word. Now, the good news is this. If Jesus overcame trouble, then you and I can overcome trouble. And although trouble comes, although adversity rears its head, it doesn't have to overcome. Let me say that again. Although trouble comes, it doesn't have to overcome. Let me say it again. Because trouble comes does not mean it has to overcome. Trouble only overcomes you if you allow trouble to be bigger than what's in you. But what's the scripture we always say? We learned it as little kids. Greater is he. Come on, you can finish that. Greater is he that is in me than he that is what? In the world. Well, is it? Is that just, is that, is that just a motto, a quote? Or is it something you're willing to live out? Because if so, then just because trouble comes doesn't mean it has to overcome. So the question then becomes, how do we trouble what is supposed to be troubling us? How do I trouble cancer? How do I trouble depression? How do I trouble lung disease? How do I, how do I, how do I trouble uh, any, any issues that I'm facing in my career, in, in my relationships, uh, in my finances, in, at my church? How do I overcome the trouble that's been designed and sent to trouble me? Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians 1 through 6, it says, seeing then it is a righteous thing with God to recompense or to repay tribulation or trouble or adversity to them that trouble you. So watch this. If trouble is so big, it's got me balled up in a ball in a fiddle position, laying in my bed, listening to sad music with the blinds closed. Trouble is so big and trouble is so bad, it's got me so messed up that the only way I can trouble trouble is by getting out of me and getting into something that's bigger than me. The thing I have to get into is the word of God, because when I get into the word of God, Jesus and the word are one. And so when I get into the word, the word then gets bigger than my problems. And then God shows up on the scene on my behalf. And he says it is a righteous thing when he does that to then trouble my trouble or to repay my trouble for troubling me. Of course, now, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to make this sound easy. Learning how to trouble your trouble is not instantaneous. And that's the problem with most believers. The first time we, we, we open our mouth and make one confession and then things don't go our way, we talk about it don't work. The first time God calls you on a fast and everything doesn't work out the way you think it should work out, now you say fasting don't work. The first time God tells you to sow a seed and you sow a seed and you don't see anything the next week, then you believe it doesn't work. No, you've got to learn to endure. 
You got to learn to stick with it because overcoming adversity is not always an instantaneous thing. It's not always automatic in the natural. It may be automatic in the spirit realm because once I pray, I believe I receive. It's a done deal. But I'm going to have to then walk out with faith and patience in order to overcome this adversity. Again, just because trouble comes doesn't mean it has to overcome. I have to learn to apply the word of God. You and I should expect the word of God to produce supernatural results in every area of our life. It must become an expectation. It must become an expectation. In fact, go ahead and type that in the comment section. Say, I expect the word of God to produce supernatural results in every area of my life. I'll say it again. Go ahead and type in the comment section. I expect the word of God to produce, praise God, supernatural results in every area of my life. If you're not making that confession, you're not even setting yourself up for victory. You're not even setting yourself up for victory. You have to have an expectation that God's word will produce supernatural results, no matter what the adversity, what the trial, what the tribulation, no matter what the situation is, God's word produces a supernatural result in my life that is greater than any problem. That's the reason I know that monogamy is supernatural, because the problem is, is being promiscuous. So how am I going to get over being promiscuous? Because I'm going to invoke the word of God in my life and it's going to cause me to become monogamous and it's going to cause me to be a person who does not give into my flesh every time my flesh wants something. Absolutely. And here's the thing. A lot of times we talk about what we're going through and how hard it is. And, and, and Pastor and I say this all the time. The fact of the matter is you ain't never going to the cross. The fact of the matter is you ain't never dying for my sins. You ain't never dying for the sins of the world. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it says this thing we're going through, this thing that we're facing, it says it's a light affliction, which is only for a moment. And what it does for us is that it actually works out for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. Listen, go ahead and put in the comment section, say what I'm going through, it ain't that bad. Oh, but Pastor Edwin, you don't know. Listen, what you're going, say it to yourself, sweetheart. Say it to yourself, son. Say it to yourself, daughter. Say it to yourself, bro. What you're going through is not that big a deal. Oh, well, you just downplaying people's feelings. No, I'm not downplaying it. What I am doing is exalting God's word. Oh, but you don't know how sad I get. I know the joy of the Lord. I know if you get the joy of the Lord in your life, it'll, it'll, it'll outweigh depression. Oh, but you don't know how lonely I get. But I know if you get in the word, God will give you friends. He'll give you joy. He'll give you peace. So this thing you're going through, it's a lot of affliction. You got to start having conversations with yourself. What I'm going through is not that big a deal. What I'm going through is not so unique to me that no one else has ever faced it. And if somebody else has faced it and they made it through, guess what? I can make it through. That's what the Bible tells us in Proverbs 24 and 10. And you got some of you need to write this on your mirror so you see it every single morning. Proverbs 24 and 10 says, if you faint, if you give up, if you cave in 
And if you quit in the day of adversity, then your strength, your faith, your confidence in God is small. Don't give up. Don't cave in. Don't quit. Get in the word and know that God has already developed a plan to see you through. This is how you live out the gospel. So when other people say, oh my God, how did you make it through that? You can say, listen, it was the word of God. Well, what word did you get to make it through that? Then you get to share the gospel with them. And then they get to know the person that you know who helped you get through the adversity. But if you give up, if you cave in and you quit and you shrink and you fall back like everybody else and have a pity party and a woe is me, then there is no distinguishing difference between you and the unbeliever. I love Proverbs 37 and 19. I want to read it out of two translations. The first one is the King James. It says, in times of disaster, he's talking about you. When disaster comes to your life, it says, they will not wither. Somebody ought to put that in the comment section. Say, I will not wither. I will not wither. I'm trying to get you to have some, some courage about who God's called you to be. Listen, when tough times come, I'm not going to wither. And I like when he says, in times of disaster, when the worst thing you can imagine comes your way, when the enemy actually gets a good sucker punch in on you, it says, don't worry, you will not wither. So I keep scriptures like this on hand. I keep them on deck. I keep them in my phone. So when something happens, when someone who I've been spending time pouring into leaves the church and then lies on me and tells people I ain't never helped them when I done gave them my last dime and I want to do everything in my flesh to correct it. And God says, don't you say a word. And I feel like that's the worst thing that could happen to me. I remember Psalm 37 and 19. <laughs> in times of disaster, I'm not going to wither. Now, look at what it says in the Passion Translation. In the Passion Translation, it says this. Even in a time of disaster, he will watch over them. So even at the worst of times, I have confidence to know God's watching over me. And that they, me, I, you, will always have, watch this, more than enough, no matter what happens. Somebody ought to give God some praise. Even in the time of disaster, He's going to be watching over me and I'm going to always have more than enough, no matter what happens. That is the reason and I know I can overcome any adversity that I face. Understand this, Jesus mastered every disastrous situation he encountered. He spoke peace to raging seas and they became calm. When an angry crowd tried to hurl him off of a cliff, Jesus just passed right on through the crowd and went on to the next town. No plan of the devil, no plan of the enemy, no harm he has conquered together can stop you when you are living your life for God on purpose. There's a story, and I won't read it all, but I encourage you to read Acts 27. I encourage you to read Acts 27 because in Acts 27, the apostle Paul was getting ready to go on a journey. And he actually told the people who was going with him that on that journey, that they would meet disaster and there would be heavy loss. 
He let them know this is what's going to happen. He also let them know that God promised, though, that there would be no loss of life. See, he said, listen, we're going on this journey. He said, this thing's going to happen. It's going to be a disaster is going to come. He said, but God's going to still be there with us and not a single life will be lost. And if you read Acts 27 and verse 25, here's what it says. Paul says, I have faith, complete confidence in God that it will be exactly as it was told to me. Some of you need to have that kind of confidence. God says, I'm going to bring that son or daughter home. God says, I'm going to turn that situation around. God says, I want you to know you're already healed. You need to have the same kind of faith and complete confidence in God that Paul had and be able to say, I believe it's going to be exactly as God told me. I believe it's a, there's a young lady who came to church on Sunday and I, I may get her name wrong. I think she, her name was Lisa. Lisa was receiving everything God had. Every time there was an opportunity to receive something, Lisa was receiving it. You hear me? She had complete confidence that what she came to church for was going to be exactly what was told her, and she received what God had had made available for her. That's the way we must live our life. Listen, Sunday, you want to come. You want to come on Sunday and Pastor Sean and I are going to come back and we're going to really get into the meat of how do you overcome adversity. I'm going to give you the four things we're going to talk about and then we're going to be done for the night. I just wanted to tee this up. I just wanted to tee this up for Sunday. I wanted to tee this up because I want you to spend the rest of this week not being knocked off guard by every single thing that happens. How do you live out the gospel? You live it out in the ways we talked about the last two weeks, but then you show up like, you know what? Come on, adversity. I got some hands for you, adversity. My hands are not are not hands made of, of the natural, but I got these spiritual hands. I got the word of God to put on you, adversity. I'm ready for any setback to try to come my way because I'm ready to set the setback back. So here are the four keys that you must have to overcome adversity and setbacks. Number one, you got to have patience in the face of adversity and a setback. You need some patience. Number two, you got to have some courage you got to learn to develop some courage in the face of adversity and setbacks. You got to have some patience, some courage. And number three, what we spent the whole month talking about, obedience. You got to have some obedience. There are times that God's going to tell you to do something that goes counterintuitive to everything you have ever known to do. But if God tells you to do something different, guess what? Do it. I don't, it don't have to make sense if it makes God. We say that here at FOC all the time. But my friends say that don't make no sense. Your friend ain't God. And if your friend is your God, that's a poor God to have. So you got to be obedient. So you got to be patient. You got to have courage. You got to have obedience. And then this thing that I'm trying to drill into you, you got to get some confidence in God's will. You got to get some confidence in God's will. I, 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 I'm so saddened by the number of believers who just get so depleted every time something don't go their way. It's like, my goodness, are you, do you have to be a baby all your life? And I know I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be harsh. But saints of God, we got to grow up. Okay, you thought you was going to get the job and you didn't get it. And? And? Next? If that wasn't a job, God got another one. Okay, you thought that you were going to walk up to the altar and get instantaneous healing. 
And the doctor said you need to have the surgery. So you have the surgery, now you're healed. But I thought God was going to heal me super. You got healed, didn't you? It's like we literally have to grow up in the things of God so we can actually start doing the work that he's called us to do. And if we're not willing to do that, then no wonder the world is looking at good witches to figure out what they need. No wonder they're looking at, at, at all these other so, so-called religions and practices and, and, and saying I'm being spiritual. Yeah, because the, the children of God aren't showing up. But if we will begin to do the things that God has called us to do, I'm telling you, if God can change the world with 12, imagine what he could do with just FOC. But we all got to get on the same page. This idea of living out the gospel has to be more than just a cute message. It's got to be something that causes me to change my total way of living, my total way of living. And so I am praying and I'm believing that as you're hearing these messages, as you're going back and reading these scriptures, that you are literally developing a spiritual backbone so that when things don't go well in your life, you do not fall apart. You do not fall apart. It is time for us to stop having to always uh, do triage on believers because something didn't go their way. It's time for us to start going out there, getting other people who don't know the Lord and teaching them this. Amen. It's time for us to get on solid food and get off the milk. Amen. And so with that being said, listen, I'm done for the night. I encourage you to come back on Sunday at nine o'clock at nine o'clock. I encourage you to come back and start off Sunday with Pastor Chris and then join me and Pastor Sean here at 930. As we talk about what is necessary to overcome adversity. A lot of people, they get divorced, not because they don't love each other, but because they can't overcome adversity. They give up and they quit because quitting is easier than doing what's necessary and trusting God and going through. Now, I know we don't have anything on Thursday night, but on Friday, I encourage you once again to join us at 6.30, 6.30 a.m. for uh, Champion Circle. It's when we come together and we pray. And so I encourage you to do that. Those of you who, uh, who you know, at Fellowship of Champions, we don't we don't wait to just a certain time. If, if 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 today is your day, you need to sow your seed. Sow your seed. There are multiple ways to give. We listed them earlier. They'll be on you on the on the screen. You can give. You can sow, and you ought to. That's part of growing up as well. You ought to. You ought to be a giver. You ought to be a giver. When the Lord asks you to give, and and and, and you explain to Him what you got to do with your money and why you can't do, you're shrinking. You're facing adversity and you're shrinking. And the Bible says that when adversity shows up and you shrink, your strength is small. And how are you going to be a champion with small strength? How are you going to be a champion with small strength? That's not who we are. And then last, if you want to be a partner, Fellowship of Champions Church International, one of the best churches this side of heaven, I believe it. Then all you have to do is go to our webpage. Simply go to www.focchurch.com, scroll down. Uh, complete the partnership registration form, click send. It comes to us. We'll know that you want to be a partner. We don't know unless you tell us. You can watch this broadcast a thousand times, but if you don't tell us that you want to be a partner here, then we don't know. What does that mean to be a partner? It means you pray for us. We pray for you. We're going to do what we do to get you the word. You're going to do what you do to come and get the word, and then you're going to go and share that word with everybody you encounter. You're going to help us spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
You're going to support us financially. We're going to support you. You're going to support us as we help to support kids who are going to college for free, as we help start our second chance scholarship fund, as we have single parents, as we have people who are homeless and people who are, are food insecure. All the things that we do here at Fellowship of Champions, when you give, you're a part of that. You're partnering with us to do that. And so we appreciate it. Listen, I thank you for being here. Uh, it is 9-12. I started at right at 9, so um, something like that. So uh, 8 o'clock, I mean, so about an hour and 10 minutes or so. So I appreciate that. I'm done. I love you guys. I will see you on Friday. Well, I won't see you, but I'll be on prayer on Friday. I hope you will be too. Bye-bye.